listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Hey, we're going to continue our series, Greater Expectations. Uh, the first week of this series, we looked at how fear and faith cannot exist together. They cannot coexist. The second week, we saw how God is not obligated to give us what we want, but he obligates himself to give us what we need. Then last week, we looked at the blind beggar the Bible calls Bartimaeus. And like Bartimaeus, we must learn to cast off the code of culture that has been assigned to us, and we must answer to what God calls us, not what the world calls us. Today, I want to try and tie all of this together as we conclude this series, and I'm going to forewarn you that today um, might be a little emotional, and and it's all right. It's all right. (laughs) Not yet. Um. The worst part, the worst part of greater expectations are the disappointments. That's the tough part. Learning to deal with the disappointment of an unmet expectation can make you or break you. And our faith in God is not exempt from this. You've you've got to understand this, church. And there's people in this room right now that they don't have faith in God. There's people watching online right now. They don't have faith in God. There's people at the Trenton campus right now that don't have faith in God because somewhere along the way, they have been disappointed with God. So understand our faith in God is not exempt from this. And, and if you don't deal with this properly, disappointment can diminish your faith and it can cause someone to walk away from God and to deny the existence of a Savior that they so, they so dearly need. But yet, disappointment has left them wondering if he's even real. Our faith relies heavily on how we handle these disappointments, these unmet expectations that we have of our Savior. And so my goal today is to help us put it all in perspective and learn how to process these disappointments. And you don't have to go any further than the people that we have already studied in this series to find the discouragement that you need to be disappointed with God. You see, you didn't know it, but as we were reading the text each and every week, there was a certain word in each one of these moments, each one of these verses, there was, there was a certain word that if you're not careful, it will diminish your faith. And so I want you to notice a simple fact that we often overlook when we read these amazing moments in scriptures. And I specifically want you to notice the response time of God in each situation. Watch this, because this is what becomes disappointing for most of us. Watch God's response time. The first week of this series, we looked at the leper in Matthew chapter 8. And we don't know how long this man suffered with leprosy, but... Um, And and we don't know how long this man waited on a miracle or even if he was waiting on a miracle. But when Jesus wanted to, he said in verse 3, be healed. And here's the word, and instantly. Somebody say instantly. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared. You don't realize how discouraging that word is to you. In that same chapter, as we studied that first week, a Roman officer approached Jesus about healing his servant. And and Jesus didn't even have to go to the man's home. In verse 13, it says that Jesus said to the Roman officer, 
Go back home because you believed it has happened and the young servant was healed that same hour. Somebody say that same hour. That's discouraging to us. If you're in the middle of a fight right now, if you're in the middle of a battle, those three words right there are messing with you. That first week we also talked about the winds and waves that were crashing against the boat and how the disciples were, were afraid and they actually woke Jesus up to, to deal with this thing. And, and verse 26 says that, that Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and waves. And suddenly, say suddenly, suddenly there was a great calm. Like suddenly. On week two, we looked in Acts chapter three as Peter and John were walking up to the temple and they encountered a crippled man. Verse seven says that, that Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up. Here it is. And immediately, you beat me to it. And immediately, say immediately, immediately. his feet and ankles were made strong. What about last week? Last week, a blind man called Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10, he calls out to Jesus. And Jesus told him in verse 52, he said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, say it, immediately, he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. I don't, I don't know if you see it. What do they all have in common? Besides the fact that they all received their miracle instantly, that same hour, suddenly, and immediately, they also all spent time waiting on their miracle. But you only focus on the best part of the story. You read it and all you see is instantly. Immediately. That same, that's all that you see in the story. And you only focus on the best part. But they didn't get their miracle as soon as the need arose. You see, the leper didn't see a little ash on his leg. And just said, God, I need you to heal this really quick. Like, moisturize my leg. That's not how it happened. His body was covered in leprosy. The Roman officer's servant didn't just develop a low-grade fever and then instantaneously find healing. The disciples didn't encounter just a, a, little, a, a, a little sprinkle on the lake to where, you know, it, it was just a few drops on their arms and, and then Jesus wakes up and calms it. No, 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 There were waves crashing into the boat. It got so bad they said, we have to wake Jesus up. The crippled man, the Bible says, was lame from birth. <clears throat> and he suffered with this for over 40 years. For over 40 years, he waited on his miracle. And Barnabas had struggled with being blind and, and not just blind, but labeled by society, wearing the coat that they issued him. For years he struggled with this. They each waited on their miracle. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and God has a work to do in you. God has a work to do through you. And when God has finished his work in you and through you, you will have a healing instantly. You will see his work suddenly and you will experience his promise immediately, but not one second before he has completed his work in you and through you. And that's what bothers us. Because his ways are higher than ours, we don't understand that. We want it now. 
God, give it to me. As soon as I pray for this, God, I need this miracle. But we fail to see that sometimes God wants to do a work in us and eventually he wants to do a work through us so that he can be glorified. But our promise is what Paul wrote to the Philippian church, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. And Paul was, was very confident in writing this. He said, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul said, whatever God started in your life, you need to know God's going to finish in your life. You, you don't have to worry about that. Now, there's some other situations, there's some other consequences, and there's some waiting involved in that. But whatever God started, God is going to finish. There's never been a project God's never finished. He's always finished it. And, and, and you need to get past the wasted time. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about the time that you can't get back because God has a way of redeeming that time that we spend in the waiting. And with God, a time of waiting is never wasted. It's never wasted. And God will redeem that time. Amen? Now, I don't usually do this. But I, I can't get past the wording of this. I, I'm not a big fan of paraphrased versions of the Bible. You might be, some of you don't even realize that you read paraphrased versions of the Bible. It's not really my thing. Um, every now and then I'll read it for the entertainment of it. Um, but it, you have to understand, it certainly is a person's perspective. It, it is someone's opinion of what was happening, and they expound upon that. And Eugene Peterson's uh, The Message Bible is one of those paraphrased. And if I have to read one, that's probably the one that I would go to the most. But I, I'm going to read the text today from a paraphrased version of the Bible from Eugene Peterson's The Message. Um, understand this is not normally how I do this. So if you're in here today and you're like, no, no, I can't come back to this church because he just read a paraphrased version. Understand that someone sitting across the aisle from you, have, they have no idea what a paraphrased version is at all. It's okay. It's okay. There's nothing here that I'm going to read that... that uh, um, is, is blasphemous. There's nothing here that I'm going to read that diminishes anything God's word says. There's just something that's interesting that Eugene Peterson saw in this chapter, in Romans chapter 8. That's where I'm going to be. There's something interesting that he saw, and there's a description that he uses that I want to bring to the forefront today as we talk about this waiting, because he, he talks about our waiting. He describes it in such a unique way, and I want to read this to you. Um, it's going to be Romans chapter 8. If you're trying to follow along in your Bible and it's not the message, good luck. Um, I'm going to read portions of verses 22 through 28, okay? So it would be best if you just look on the screen, to be honest. Here we go. He says this. He says, all around us we observe a pregnant creation. Get, get, get this imagery. He says, all around us we observe a pregnant creation. Maybe your Bible says something along the lines of this, that creation waits in eager expectation. That's what a lot of versions say. Creation waits in eager expectation. He says, all around us we observe a pregnant creation. <clears throat> the difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us. But the longer we wait, the larger we become. And the more joyful our expectancy. That's why we can be so sure 
that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Let me talk about this just for a moment, and then we're going to move on, but, but, but I think this is important. Paul compares our waiting, and Paul's writings through Eugene Peterson, he, prepare, he, he compares our waiting to an expecting mother. Paul was trying his best to help us understand this. Our waiting, our times of waiting, it's, it's like an expecting mother. And what do moms-to-be do while they're expecting? Well, the first thing they do is they'll go out and they'll buy maternity clothes because she knows that she's going to get bigger. It's just it's part of it. If she's not getting bigger, then something is not right. And, and so it, she's going to go out and buy maternity clothes. Now, this has nothing to do with my message, but I'm going to help some men in the room out, okay? This is just some friendly advice. At first, that woman will celebrate her baby bump. She'll even take some cute little pictures in the mirror, and she'll post them on her Instagram, and she will celebrate that little baby bump. That's what she does. But after that bump turns into a watermelon, don't mention it. You let her mention it. And when she says, do I look big? You look at her and say, babe, are you even still pregnant? I didn't even notice. No extra charge for that, but trust me. She buys bigger clothes as her expectation drags out. The clothes get big. There's, there's, there's an expectancy there. She'll also buy baby clothes. She'll buy diapers and, and she'll buy all the needed supplies. Maybe some of her friends will throw her a baby shower and help with some of those supplies that they need. I have noticed that moms like to theme out the nurseries and they'll get it all decorated. I remember when Caleb and Kendall, when Mandy was expecting our twins, um, Mandy wanted to do the nursery and we did the nursery in, in Noah's Ark because the animals came two by two. And that's all that we know. They were coming two by two. You know, they told us the chance of us having twins again because of the type of twins that they are. They told us the chance of us having twins again were quadrupled. We stopped. <laughs> A mom-to-be does all of this because she is eagerly awaiting the arrival of what she cannot yet see. And as she waits, the expectation gets bigger and bigger. Church, I believe that as we wait on God, we must prepare for what we are expecting God to do. And the longer we wait, the greater the expectation. The greater the expectation, the greater the blessing. Don't lose your sense of expectancy as it relates to God in your life. Because the enemy wants to destroy that. But what do we do when God just doesn't come through for us? Because we've got to deal with that. We can't close this series out without talking about those moments when God just doesn't do what we expect him to do. How do you reconcile that? How do you move past that in your faith when God just doesn't come through? And some of you, you know what I'm talking about. You're going through it right now. 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6 says that there was this time in, in David's life when things got so bad, matter of fact, he had, he had men, his own men that were ready to kill him. Things got so bad in his life, the Bible says that David had to encourage himself in the Lord. Well, I'm letting you know, over the past few weeks, I've reached that place. 
And I had to encourage myself in the Lord. And so I've been digging through some old sermons. And I've been trying my best to reconcile some things in my heart and in my mind. To encourage myself. And I pulled out an old sermon that I want to borrow a few thoughts from. And if you'll oblige, I just want to share it because I believe there's someone in the room that needs to hear this because I needed it. No doubt there's someone at the FWRC and there's people at our Trenton campus that they absolutely need to hear this today. It's easy to praise God when God gives you what you are expecting. When the food of choice is on the dinner table. Not what you're scraping up to get by on. But the food you actually wanted to eat. When the mortgage is paid with no worries. It's easy to trust God. When the vehicles are all in perfect running condition. It's easy. When there is enough money to buy not just the needs but also some of the wants. It's easy to trust God. When everyone in the house is in good health. When all of your extended family is in good health. When everybody is simply just getting along. Some of you, that would be the greatest miracle in your home, right? When people are not at each other's throats. When they're not angry with one another. When it doesn't seem like they hate the people they should love the most. It's easy to trust God. When you pull up to the mall. And there's that parking spot near the front that my wife just keeps declaring is the favor of God. And I watch as some elderly woman drives by and she has to park in the back of the parking lot. But Mandy's still claiming it's the favor of God on her life. But what about that poor old woman that's parking in... Never mind. I'm going to get myself in trouble. Favor. Favor ain't fair, right? Favor ain't fair. Rains on the just and the unjust. It's just not fair. But you know what? Favor ain't forever either. Because sometimes you're in a season of feast and sometimes you're in a season of drought. It rains on the just and the unjust. Favor isn't always frequent. And favor certainly is not always found. I would love to be up here today and be that prosperity preacher that's just telling you if you do this, 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 and this, God's going to come through for you and everything's going to work out just perfectly the way that you want it, the way that you expect it, but it's not scriptural. Because here's what I've come to realize is that church, sometimes life is just disappointing. Sometimes it, it, it just stinks. Because it doesn't always work out the way we had hoped. And life is full of opportunities for us to be disappointed in God. It's a prayer that that God did not answer the way that we expected him to. It's a job that was lost. It was a relationship that failed. It's a healing that didn't occur. And I think that's what's got me messed up right now. I think that's what's got me struggling a little bit. It seems as though God has, has either been delayed or distracted Or that God just simply denied and just said, nope, I'm not doing that one. And whatever the case, these disappointments can lead to resentment. And if you're not careful, it's even resentment towards God. The most powerful weapon of our belief system 
for us as Christians is also the most dangerous to our faith. 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. It's a wonderful weapon, but it also can be a great disappointment. Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is a powerful weapon. But when God doesn't come through the way you want him to, that verse right there is a terrible letdown. Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. It's a wonderful tool. I'm telling you, it, it, it works until it doesn't. And when it doesn't work out the way you want it to, it's disappointment with even God. And we're told time and time again that we are to have faith and that faith can change the outcome of the situation. And and, and faith is that powerful weapon when our will lines up with God's will. When we pray and he answers and we feel like we can conquer the world because of his power in our lives. But when the outcome, as we had hoped, does not change, we must develop unmet expectations and and that that they come and they, they, they steal our faith from us. They steal our faith in God from us. And it happens time and time time again and and church what I want you to understand is this is that Satan Satan doesn't want your marriage like you don't even want your husband why does Satan want him all right no I'm just kidding Satan doesn't want your marriage he doesn't want your wife he doesn't want your husband he doesn't want your children he doesn't want your job he doesn't want your house he doesn't want your car what Satan wants is your faith That's what he's out to destroy. Satan is out to destroy your faith. And the way that he gets that is he'll take your job. He'll take your marriage. He'll take your children. That's what he'll do to destroy your faith. So we've got to look at where the blame actually is deserved here and know that Satan is out to still kill and destroy. And he wants to steal your faith because he knows, Hebrews 11 and 6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. He didn't please God and he wants you not to please God. And so he's out to destroy your faith. And so through disappointment and unmet expectations, Satan tries to rip that faith out of your life. And the Bible is full of people who experience disappointment with God. Jonah expressed disappointment in God for his mercy shown towards the city of Nineveh. Such a wicked people that Jonah felt like the world would be better off without them. Which leads me to believe, be careful on who you're hating on right now because God might just use them to start a revival. (laughs) We'll go there more when political season is in full force. Okay, we'll we'll get there. You get it. Mary and Martha were disappointed in God when their brother Lazarus died. John 11 and 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. You don't think that's a disappointing statement? She is disappointed in God. Jesus is God. She's disappointed in God. Verse 32 says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Mary and Martha, both of the sisters, are disappointed. that their brother's dead and Jesus was nowhere to be found. Or how about those disciples after the resurrection that are on their, the road to Emmaus and they express their disappointment in the death of Christ as they're walking with him and they don't even recognize that it's him. In Luke 24 and 21, they said, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. But we had hoped 
They're expressing their disappointment, not even realizing God's walking right there with them. But we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. And when we, when we live to see the reason behind the why, it seems to make sense to us. When we see the revival that overtakes the city of Nineveh, when we see the resurrection and the life in, in Lazarus, when, when our eyes are open and we realize that he was right there with us the whole time, he was right there walking on the road to Emmaus, even in our disappointment that God was there, when we see all of that, when we get to witness his grace at work, it seems to soothe the pain and it makes it worth it. But what about those moments when we don't get to see his goodness and his mercy. What about those moments when they're nowhere to be found? You know, sometimes in my life, it feels like I, I, I take a left and goodness and mercy take a right. And they're supposed to follow me all the days of my life. But it feels like I'm, sometimes I'm going in the opposite direction of goodness and mercy. It would have been so much easier to end this series on a high note. And picks some, because the Bible's packed full of these moments where God's power is exemplified in spite of our unmet expectations. But the truth is this, sometimes God just doesn't meet our expectations and he doesn't have to. He's God, he's sovereign, but what do we do with that? Here's where I've had to go this week. Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 3. Now when John, that is the cousin of Christ. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? He's asking him, Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Or should we keep looking? John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, finds himself in prison because he openly confronted King Herod because Herod married, married his brother's wife. And John just thought, this is, this is not godly. This is not the way it should, should happen. And I'll, I'll forewarn you with this, and I'm not going to be long, but, but this is not going to end well for John. This is not one of those happy, miraculous moments in Scripture that you wanted me to end the series with. It's not going to end well for John, but don't lose your head over it. He's got that covered. He'll never see daylight again. He'll die in that prison, and he will be beheaded. That's the story of John. Now, there was no one that believed in Jesus more than John. You want to think you have faith at, at the strongest moments of your life? There's no one that had faith more than John. Before they were born, the Bible says that John leapt in his mother's womb when his Aunt Mary, pregnant with Jesus, just walked into the room. John, the baby, the, 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 the child that had yet to be born, leapt within his mother's womb. John was a prophet that was crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. One day, John saw Jesus walking, and he made this bold statement to everyone that was there. As he was baptizing people, he just kind of stops, and he looks up, and he sees Jesus, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
He makes this bold statement for everyone to hear. That's how much he believed that, that his cousin, Jesus, was the Messiah. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, <clears throat> this word disappointment means a feeling of dissatisfaction when one's hopes, desires, and expectations fail to come to pass. That's what it is. A feeling of dissatisfaction when one's hopes, desires, and expectations fail to come to pass. Now you know what you're feeling towards God sometimes. It's disappointment. <clears throat> when God somehow fails to satisfy our hopes or does not live up to our expectations, disappointment inevitably follows. But even Jesus experienced disappointment. When Lazarus died, the Bible says he wept. He cried when he learned that Lazarus died. Uh, and when Peter, James, and John kept falling asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane, he expressed disappointment in them. Can you not just stay awake with me? Can you? He, he was disappointed. And when he was hanging on a cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You don't think that's disappointment? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced disappointment in his own life. And here's what God is showing me. It's okay to be disappointed with Jesus. Just don't be disappointed in Jesus. Hear me. I don't think God has a problem with you being disappointed with Jesus. But don't be found disappointed in Jesus. Because you can't be in, in Jesus and not have hope. It's the difference between those of us who call ourselves Christians and who have made that decision to follow Christ. That, that's the difference. We are in Christ. We have hope. Disappointment may come, but we are still in Jesus, so we still have hope. There's plenty of moments where I've been disappointed with him. Some of you haven't verbalized that. You felt it, but you didn't verbalize it because you're afraid that God is going to run out of grace and mercy for you and zap you. You know, just like, this is, that's it. I can tell you, my wife will tell you this. I've questioned God many times. God, why? Why? And what I've come to, to understand is that disappointment in God is not a sin. If anything, I've come to realize it's a sign that I believe. Disappointment is a sign that I truly believe. It's a sign of faith. It's, it's like saying, God, I know you can do it. I just don't understand why you didn't do it. It's saying, God, I know that you're able. I just don't understand why you didn't. God, I know you have the power to do this. I have faith that you have the power. I just don't have the reasoning on why you didn't come through for me. So it actually is a sign of faith when you are disappointed with God. And it's okay. Because I promise you, God's not scared of that reaction. And so stuck in his prison cell on death row, John sends that message. Are, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Or should we keep looking? Because I find myself in a prison right now about to be killed. Are you the one who's going to redeem Israel? Or should we keep looking? And he receives this message back from Jesus. Matthew 11 verses 4 and 6. 
Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. John, everything I've set out to do is being accomplished. The blind are receiving their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor are having the good news preached to them. But you want to know who's blessed? The one who is not offended by me. In other words, John, I'm fulfilling what I was sent here to do. And just because I'm not busting your butt out of prison does not make me any less God. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me when I don't come through the way they expect me to come through. That person is the one that's truly blessed. So church, you might not agree with God. You probably would have done it differently. But don't lose faith because God didn't meet your expectations. Don't let disappointment with God cause you to have low expectations of God. You see, just because God's not answering some requests the way I think that he should, doesn't mean that I'm going to stop praying because I still believe he's able. God still can. God still can. He may not do it in my time frame. He may not do it the way I want him to do it. But I have this assurance that God still can. And I will not let my disappointments with God cause me to have low expectations of God. Because that's the enemy trying to steal my faith. And when you develop that mindset, you have to throw in the towel. You call it quits. And you set yourself up for a mediocre life. And I, I refuse to live that way. John, you might be disappointed with the end of your life. But don't forget, you wouldn't even exist if it hadn't been for the miraculous working power of, 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 of God in your life. You have to understand John's story. John was born to, to parents that were too old to have children. John's very existence on this planet was the divine hand of God. He was birthed to point people to Jesus. He was the forerunner of Christ. His whole purpose in life was to point people back to Christ. John understood this, so he would say things like, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He would say this, I am not the Christ. He would say, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. He would say, He must increase, I must decrease. And then he looked at his, his disciples and he said, Don't follow me, follow him. You see, John understood all of that. One commentary that I read offered this reasoning for John's question to Jesus as to if he was the Messiah or not. Sent from that prison cell, one commentary said this. It's a, basically maybe John was, wasn't questioning Jesus at all. You've got to look at who John was sending. He sent his, his, his messengers, his disciples with this note to Jesus to find out if, if he is the Christ. Some of his disciples, we know from the earlier scriptures, they had already left John to follow Jesus. But there were still a few that were faithful to John. They were still following him. Maybe John just wanted them to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. Or better yet, straight from the lamb's mouth. Maybe they just wanted him to verbalize it so that their ears could hear it. So, he could, so that those men could understand who they really need to be following. Maybe John was preparing them to deal with their own disappointments their own unmet expectations. 
And so even in our disappointment with God, church, you've got to realize that we've got to consider those who are looking to us because the whole world is watching. And, and, And I promise you this, your whole world, whoever that may be, they're watching you right now. They're watching to see how you're going to respond in life's disappointments, how you're going to respond when God doesn't meet your expectations of how it should, should, should turn out. And our reaction to disappointment could determine their choice on whether to follow Jesus or not. God's glory is still revealed even in our disappointment. And if I'm honest, while preaching this series... There's been a couple of situations that have created great disappointment in me. Things that I've been praying about for a long time. And Wayne, I can't even make eye contact with you today. Having been there with my father. And I've preached this entire series with this heaviness. During the series, having to preach a service of a 34-year-old man that has been on the top of my prayer list for years, battling brain cancer. Leaving behind a wife and two children, it leaves me scratching my head going, God, why? I don't get it. I don't understand it. Having another church member that I'll have to go visit today, a friend, that I'll have to go visit. And he's possibly nearing the end of his life. I've been praying for him for a long time just watching him struggle and suffer before my very eyes and Wayne I haven't stopped believing I'm still praying but I'm no stranger to disappointment as it relates to what God does and doesn't do And neither are you. When I start asking God why, I have this this habit of going to his word and saying, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And I need you to show me. And he's always faithful to show me. This week, he led me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And it answers all my questions. Peter writes, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great grace that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great 
expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. Pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. He said that it's by his great mercy that we've been born again. And I think I limit it sometimes to that's the salvation of Christ. It is. The fact that I don't have to face a devil's hell, that my sins have been forgiven, that's the great salvation. It is. Peter said it is by his great mercy that we've been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. But he goes on and he says this. Verse 5. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation. You see, salvation didn't start just, or stop just when he cleansed me of my sins. That was the beginning of my salvation. His power... He's protecting us by his power until you receive this salvation, which we will see on the last day. And then he says, and by the way, everyone's going to see it. We live on a cursed planet. You want to know why bad things happen to good people? It's because we live on a cursed planet. Plain and simple. But when we live by faith and not by sight, we understand that our expectation is not limited to the physical world. It's not limited by the here and the now. And if I believe in a Savior, then I must believe that he is preparing a place for me, and not just for me, but for all who have died in the faith. Therefore, I have to believe that he, Jesus, descended into the pits of Hades, and he took back the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And if I believe that, then I've got to believe that eternity is more real than this temporal dwelling that I currently live in right now. What's the worst that can happen to me? As a child of God, we look at the end of life as the end. But as a child of God, it's just the beginning. God has helped us. He has delivered us from the curse. Listen, in these 75, 85, 95 years, whatever, whatever God allows you to live on this, whatever that looks like. This is just a vapor of eternity. His salvation becomes complete when we step into that glorified body and all sickness and all disease is left behind 
former things have passed. Behold, he says, I make all things new. I don't understand why God heals some and doesn't heal others, but here's what I know. Every child of God will be healed. If not here, there. If not now, then. Every child of God will be healed. And it will be instantaneous in the blink of an eye. It'll happen and you won't even know it happened. It's just boom, there it is. And Wayne, I'll get to see my father in his right mind. I'll get to see my friend Blaine. All those who have gone before. Healed and whole. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.